Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Let's start from the very beginning. A very good place to start. Oh, here we go again. When you sing, you begin with Do, Re, Mi. Do, Re, Mi. Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Ti. Resolve the seventh, Kathy. No. No, it's, it's Do. I think, what was it? Do. All I hear is no. <laughs> From WNYC Studios, this is Nancy. With your host, Kathy Tu and Tobin Lowe. Okay, so we are in the studio, Kathy, Matt, me, uh, and I have a little surprise for you guys. All right, here we go. What's happening? I have gathered you all here today. Oh, God. Because there is an irreparable rift in our team. Which one? Oh, I think I know this. (laughs) (laughs) Which is that I love Drag Race, and I feel completely unsupported because I think, in fact, you guys hate Drag Race. True, true. Yeah, that's super correct. So for the truly unenlightened, I am of course talking about RuPaul's Drag Race, the reality TV competition show that crowns America's next drag superstar. Each season, a new cast of drag queens competes for the crown. They have to act, sing, dance, and lip sync for their lives. And one by one, they are eliminated by the show's host and head judge, RuPaul. (laughs) I love this show. I love the fashion, I love the drama, the hilarity, but I think what I actually love the most about watching it is when I am with other super fans. When you are a Drag Race fan, it feels like you're part of this huge community that also loves it. You can talk endlessly about who you want to win, who deserves to get the boot, who your all-time favorite is. I mean, it is as close as I will ever come to understanding what it's like to cheer on your favorite team in a crowded sports bar. And that is why it pains me so much (laughs) that I can't talk to you guys about any of it. So I guess my first question is, how much of the show have you actually watched? I have watched exactly two and a half episodes, one of them with you. And I wouldn't say I hate it, but I just strongly dislike it. (laughs) Okay. I want to hear more about why you didn't like it. Like, you said it's like watching sports in a sports bar, and usually that, I'm all for that. Mm -hmm. But I get turned off here because I've tried watching the show, and it just feels like there's too much to catch up on. So much. I completely agree on this. Matt, how much have you watched? Okay, so I think I've seen, like, three quarters of an episode total, maybe, like, half of one (laughs) and the last quarter of another. Uh, And to me, it felt a lot like when I have invited people over to my house to watch Game of Thrones, and there's, like, usually a whole group, and there's always, like, one person who is like, I've never seen it before, but, like, it seems fun. Like, I'm probably going to like it. And then very quickly, it just completely goes over their heads, and they're like, oh, I can tell that all of this means something to you, Mm -hmm. but, like, they have no idea what is going on. Gotcha. So part of it is just feeling like you can't catch up to the canon of the show. Not can't. Like, I'm not interested enough to. That's fair. That's fair, yeah. I would rather watch football than Drag Race. (gasps) Oh, my God. Okay, okay. I do want to know more about why you didn't like the show. So, like, I want to take an inventory of complaints that I can address directly. 
Okay, so one complaint I have is the way the show is edited. It's super fast-paced, and it feels completely random. All these crazy moments happen, and they explain nothing. Nothing's explained. That's fair. They'll go from a contestant talking to the camera. There are some other really strong competitors. To a queen pulling tape off another queen's nipples. Ow! Ow! Then they cut to, like, a reaction shot and a different reaction shot. And then they're back to the person talking to the camera. It's not a time to get comfortable. Oh, that was so painful. Thank you, babe. So many crazy things just fly by. It's confusing, Tobin. Okay, so style of the show, complaint number one. Got it. Mm-hmm. Matt, I'm afraid to ask, but do you have a complaint? <laughs> oh, no. I think this is, like, it's not going to be a surprise to you, but, like, I just generally, like, do not find drag queens that interesting. Like, I've seen drag shows, and I'm like, it's fun, but I don't think I've ever, like, sought one out on my own. Uh, And, like, because of that, I just, like, do not think drag race is interesting. Because aside from, like, the hair and the makeup and, I don't know, just being, like, really catty to each other, Mm -hmm. I don't think I, like, know what the show is about. Gotcha. Okay, so I'm going to label that as complaint number two. Uh, Why don't we do one more? Okay, okay. Um, Here's one. It seems to me that the show has a very specific audience, and that audience is gay men. (laughs) So, like, as a queer woman, I don't really see what I would get out of watching the show. Okay, complaint number three. Yeah. Here's what I'm going to do now. You're going to just give up? Leave us alone. (laughs) No, 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 no. What I am going to do is I'm going to go away and find evidence to refute all of your complaints so that I can convince you that you should watch this show. And if I present my arguments and you still aren't convinced, I will let it go. How does that sound? I would love to see you fail. <laughs> oh my God, that was like a Matt Collette thing. I'm sorry. No, I, it back. Okay. I don't have anything to say. <laughs> no, like, go ahead. I don't think you're going to change my mind. But we're open to it. We're okay. open to it. Okay. All right. I'm going to go get to work. Here's where I'm going to put some time travel music. Kathy, do you want to help me get a three-part time travel music? This is okay. Ready and... Okay, in spite of the sound design, time has actually passed. (laughs) Yes, we are in a different studio wearing different clothes and everything. A week has passed since last we talked, and I am ready to point-counterpoint the crap out of your issues with the show. All right, so Kathy, your first complaint was that the show is kind of nonsensical. Yeah, it's too random. It's all over the place. Yeah, so actually, I think the sensibility of the show is one of the reasons it's great. Because each of these weirdo moments has the potential to become a sensation. And the example I'm going to use to prove my point is a moment from the current season of Drag Race. Ladies, made my decision. It's actually from the very first episode when RuPaul sent home the very first queen. And getting sent home first is exactly the position you don't want to be in. You don't win any money and you get less screen time than every other queen. So RuPaul announces that the contestant getting the boot is... Vanessa Vanjie Mateo. Also known as Miss Vanjie. Now, generally when a queen gets eliminated, they walk down the catwalk one last time, then they turn around and deliver their last words on the show. Usually it's some kind of joke. But Miss Vanjie didn't exactly do that. Instead, she just said, Miss Vanjie, Miss Vanjie, Miss Vanjie. 
it gets funnier the more you listen to it. <laughs> it's just so truly weird. It's so weird. And this is what I love about the show. Like so many other completely batshit moments on Drag Race, this goes by completely unexplained. It just sort of happens. But immediately, this scene totally blew up with Drag Race fans online. Despite having watched none of the show, like, I knew exactly this Miss Vanjie moment. Yeah, I mean, the internet got flooded with Miss Vanjie memes and tweets. When she made an appearance at RuPaul's drag convention, the audience and RuPaul chanted her name. Miss Vanjie! She sells Miss Vanjie merchandise. Andrew Garfield recently talked about her in an interview. Bruce Springsteen and Miss Vanjie. <laughs> I feel changed by so far this year. Maybe Miss Vanjie slightly more profoundly. So here's my point. I think that this show is meant to deliver these absurdist moments that then queer people can take and do what they've always done, which is, you know, make cultural moments out of them and be creative and be crazy with them. And it doesn't have to make sense. And then I also love that queens like Miss Vanjie can turn around and capitalize on these moments and make money and build careers off of them. So that is my argument for why the randomness of this show is genius. No. <laughs> why not? Because it's still in the moment I don't know what's happening. You're still confused. Like, outside of the show, I can get it, but I think until I'm, like, caught up in all of the seasons, I don't think it's... It doesn't make any sense to me, Tobin. But I'm trying to say that you let the nonsense wash over you. Uh, I think I'm too much of a realist for that. Okay. Kelly yeah. doesn't like nonsense. I don't, I really don't like nonsense. Strictly business. Yeah. All right. I'm going to insert a sad trombone sound here. Sorry, Tobin. I was really rooting for you, though. It's okay. It's okay. I've got more things. I've got more things. We're going to move to the next point. Matt, you were saying that Drag Race seems kind of surfacey. Totally. Like, people all the time are like, this show is not just, like, fun. It's, like, capital I important. Mm. But I, like, seriously do not know what it is about. Gotcha. Okay, so to answer your question, I talked to someone who writes a lot about the deeper meaning of Drag Race. Hi, I'm Matthew Rodriguez, and I am a staff writer at Into. And something that he's written a lot about is how the show is unique in the way it deals with race. I would say that Drag Race is, first of all, the only show on television that consistently shows queer people of color and allows them to have a voice and doesn't stereotype them. He points out that, you know, so few shows feature queer people, let alone queer people of color, let alone queer people of color interacting with each other and with people of other backgrounds. The queer communities are so segregated that the show is the only one on television that actually brings people from all the different communities into one room. And a prime example of this happened very recently on Untucked, which is like Drag Race's backstage TV show. It was a confrontation between two queens, the Vixen, who is black, and Aquaria, who is white. Aquaria picked a fight, and the Vixen was not having it. When you come for me, and I come for you back, and you say, oh, you're so negative. I was chilling. You brought it over here, I bring it back, and all of a sudden, I'm a bitch. And when the Vixen responded... I... Aquaria started with these crocodile tears, if you will. At this point, the Vixen basically, like, steps out of the situation and acknowledges they're on a reality TV show and how the audience will interpret their interaction. So when you 
get super defensive and tell me that I'm negative when I'm just responding to what you brought to me, that will always read to these. She's actually pointing directly at the cameras. As a race issue. The vixen said, like, I'm not going to allow you to turn this into a narrative of, oh, the angry black woman or the angry black queen. And so when she did that, she was not only standing up for herself, but also talking about the way that we don't allow black queens on TV, black people on TV, and then ultimately black people in real life to have a full spectrum of emotion and experience. So yeah, I would argue that in terms of what's underneath the aesthetics of the show is some really interesting conversations about gender and class and race. So it's more than just about playing dress up. But I want to hear what you guys think. Okay, I hear what he's saying, but I feel like when I was growing up... Wait, is this a personal Matt story? So when I was growing up, my parents pretty much cooked vegetables one way, which was just like boiling them. And they were like, you have to eat them, they're good for you. And it wasn't until much later that I learned that there were actually all these other ways to cook vegetables that were just like so much more satisfying. Mm -hmm. So like what I guess I am trying to say in this like roundabout way is that like, Tobin, you have definitely convinced me the show is good for me. But you haven't convinced me the show is actually, like, good or enjoyable. I thought it was compelling because I liked the things that were said and the points that were brought up. Yeah, I would say it was compelling television. All right. I'm also going to declare this one a loss for me. As much as I feel you guys sort of humoring me, it's still a loss. (laughs) But I think I'm going to get you with this last point. Kathy, do you remember your third complaint? Yes. My impression is that this show seems to be only for gay men. Not true. And I found just the person (laughs) to prove you wrong. Uh, My name is Mackenzie Cole. I am a theater manager working in uh, regional theater, and I identify as queer. I just want to get a visceral reaction from you when I tell you that the rest of Team Nancy hates Drag Race. My heart just sunk to the bottom of my belly hearing that, and it makes me really sad. (laughs) Can I get a sound effect? (laughs) (laughs) So Mackenzie's relationship to the show started back when she was a teenager. When I was 15 years old, I very much identified as straight. I had no inkling of queerness whatsoever. I was a very classic, I'm just a really good ally. But then her family got a Netflix subscription. And somehow, at 15 years old, when I was living in Wichita, Kansas, the first thing I decided to watch was RuPaul's Drag Race. What did it feel like the first time you saw the show? The first time I saw Drag Race, I remember feeling this instant connection. uh, And I didn't know what it was, how to explain it, but I saw something in them that I wasn't seeing reflected in the really conservative environment surrounding me at that time. Mackenzie became obsessed with the show. But in high school, it was something I didn't talk about much because there was no one really around me that I would watch with. And it wasn't until I went off to college that I started realizing that there were people around me that also watched and I could gather with them and have this shared experience and not just be sitting alone by myself. So this is the hilarious part. She goes off to college. She's not out yet, but she loves Drag Race. And she finds other Drag Race watchers and forms a community. And they basically all turn out to be queer. (laughs) 
So the show basically helped her find a gaggle of queers before she even knew what a gaggle was. And not just that. The great thing for me about Drag Race is that every season there's all new queens that you get to know and you get to understand how they do drag, what drag means to them, and having new examples constantly helped me to kind of navigate within myself how I wanted to navigate my own sexuality, my own gender expression, seeing all of these different forms of queerness in front of me. And because the show had helped her find community and figure out some stuff, she was in a really great place to come out. I told two of my best guy friends, like, the first day we all got back for sophomore year, that I was like, I might want to try to, like, like, I don't know, hook up with women this year. And they were like, yeah, that sounds great. That sounds amazing. I was like, yeah, I don't know. Like, how can I say I don't like broccoli unless I've tried broccoli? And they were like, yeah, you should go try broccoli, Mac. And then, like, that night I went out and had my first, like, hook up with a woman. And I barged into their room the next morning at 8 a.m., woke them up by screaming, I tried broccoli! And they were like, what? That was record time! And I was like, listen, I was on a mission. I don't play around. Thanks, broccoli. <laughs> Oh, Mackenzie. I, first of all, need advice from Mackenzie. <laughs> I think Mac and I need to be friends mm-hmm. for the future in the event I'm single again. Yeah. <laughs> I like the fact that Mackenzie used the show to create her own safe space, basically, and then go out and do the things that she needed to do to explore her identity. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. I'm going to consider this one a win. But I do just have to ask the million-dollar question. Uh-huh. Can you imagine a world where you give Drag Race a try? Perhaps this is the show for certain people. I don't know. I would say that it would. it's the one for me yet. But, yeah. Yeah, I give most things a shot. You caught me on a good day. I had a magical day. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm never going to watch RuPaul, like, on my own, I think, though. Yeah. I don't think I would ever catch up. I think I would just, like... Jump in midstream. And I guess I need to like... Yeah, maybe that's the thing. Land an invite to like a cool party. (gasps) Wait. Can I invite you guys over and we'll start a season from the beginning and we'll watch together? I feel like I've suddenly committed to something I can't back out of. (laughs) You'll be a Drag Race fan yet. Well, we'll see. Mr. I'll... Make a man out of you. It's the opposite of what happens yeah, on Drag Race. Yeah, that's really the opposite. Be a man. Yeah, this... I don't think this is the right movie for... <laughs> no, it's like the, the exact opposite wrong. This is wrong. not Great the right movie for this. I mean, he's going for it, though. Mysterious as the dark side of the moon. <laughs> and I'll you back in a minute. And we're back. Yes, we are. Tobin, you have been trying so hard to get me excited about RuPaul's Drag Race. How am I doing? Eh. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right. I will take it. I will take it. (laughs) But I will say, all this talk about Drag Race is the perfect segue to talk about one of my favorite contestants from the show, Peppermint. Oh, I've heard you talk about Peppermint before. Well, for folks who don't know, Peppermint is this incredible drag queen who competed last season on the show— She performed some of my favorite lip syncs with some of the best dance moves. She's also been a performer in New York City for years before she ever got on the show. And she is about to be the first out trans woman to originate a role on Broadway. She is the real deal. 
And you got to interview Peppermint recently. Were you a geek the whole time? Sort of, yes. <laughs> I'm just going to start by being totally honest. I'm like kind of freaking the fuck out right now because I'm a big fan. Aw, <laughs> thank like, you, babe. I'm a big fan, too. Oh, thank you. Of me. You should be a you big fan of up. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I walked right into you that did. one. <laughs> We talked about her complicated relationship to having been on Drag Race because as much as the show is great, it hasn't been without its problems. I mean, RuPaul's Drag Race and RuPaul himself have gotten backlash over mm -hmm. how the show talks about women, mm -hmm. about trans folks. Mm -hmm. Recently, RuPaul made kind of shitty remarks about how trans women who have transitioned are cheating when it comes to drag. Oh, RuPaul. Yeah. Come on. Really not great. No. Yeah, not great. And it's also just a weird thing for him to say because just last season, the runner-up was Peppermint, who is a out-and-proud trans woman. So I started by asking her, you know, if she was surprised by RuPaul's comments. And she was basically like, no, not surprised at all. I've heard this before. This is not new. Mm. Um, when I was coming up, a very well-known queen, she suspected that I was transitioning. And she asked me flat out, are you transitioning? And I did before I could even answer, she was like, well, you know, I support you, but you'll never work in the drag world again, which was kind of like very ominous and damning, you know? <laughs> you'll never work in the drag world because you're a woman. And so it wasn't necessarily a surprise to me. For me, hearing anyone say that trans women don't belong in the drag world— Cis women don't belong in the drag world. It just felt like a pattern. So I don't accept it. And I defied the rules before this interview was ever given, mm -hmm. you know? And I was out and trans before the show taped, before it aired, and before that interview. So I just don't think that it's valid. Well, and when he did come around and apologize, one of the things he said is, to the trans community specifically, is you are my teachers, which I think... That can be a complicated thing, too, right? Which is, like, for marginalized folks, this tension of sometimes feeling like they have to explain themselves mm -hmm. to other people. Like, how do, you, how do you feel about that tension? Like, do you want to be RuPaul's teacher? Well, I don't think that necessarily was how—I I personally didn't take it as a call to action that we needed to teach Ru. Mm. Ru is a grown man— she will learn if she, whatever she hasn't learned. If she's not going to learn it, she's not going to learn it. Mm -hmm. But I'm happy to do that. I just happen to be the type of person that wants to be an activist and wants to speak out. Some people don't want to do that, and not everyone should because not everyone can. But if you're out and you're open and you're queer and just living your life to the fullest, you are being a teacher. Um, I also just want to talk about this other aspect of Drag Race that has been controversial I've heard other queens talk about how they feel like there's a different expectation for black drag queens versus white drag queens, and maybe not even just on the show, but out in the world. And I wonder what your experience has been like with that. Well, my experience hasn't been that it's a very blatant thing. It's not as though someone came to me and said, this is what you're allowed to do, and this is what you're expected to do. My experience has been more learning very quickly in the gay world or in the queer world, what they wanted to see and what they thought was funny and what they would accept from me. How, how would you characterize that? Really, really basic. 
for all the things that Black women bring to the world and to humanity. It's more than just tongue popping and finger snapping and, you know, hair weaves. And unfortunately, the same female Black essence that gay men are living for today is the same sassy maid that would cart on 20, 30 years ago, who was the same housekeeper or nanny who would come on and say, what you talking about? Like, that's all that they wanted. And there are so many queens who are finger snapping. And that's real and it's beautiful, but there's so much more. And I just would like for there to be more space for that because it was always very 10 white queens, one black queen. So the black girl has to be that one thing because we need that represented. So you better be that sassy black girl because that's all, there's only one slot, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think when we start to open up and see more slots, then we'll be able to accept more expressions. Do you remember the first time that you performed in drag where maybe not even necessarily to anyone else, but even just internally you were acknowledging like, I am up here performing and I am a trans woman and a drag queen? Yes. I mean, I think the first time I ever really, really felt it, I was probably eight years old. And my grandmother was a seamstress. So she taught me how to sew. And she would make costumes for me. I was at Hershey's Kiss. I was everything. Anything under the sun. But I came to life when she turned me into Boy George. And she put a little wig on me, did makeup. And you couldn't tell me that I wasn't this gorgeous woman, I was a little kid, wig probably looked a mess, but I was feeling it. And I wanted that feeling again. And so then I entered something called the homely court in high school, which during homecoming, everyone would cross-dress. And so the football players would cross-dress, the cheerleaders would cross-dress, and I was a cheerleader. So I, at the time, cross-dressed and was in like a leopard fur and a little hat. I looked like I was going to a funeral. But I was <laughs> feeling it, and I sashayed across that gymnasium, and I won. And I was like, oh, this is this is it. <laughs> <laughs> this is it right here. They were just having a game. I was doing something for real. <laughs> this is everything. <laughs> <laughs> what were your early days of being a drag queen in New York like? Early days of drag. I was a college student. I just moved to New York. I was in musical theater school, learning how to try to figure out a way to audition every day to be on Broadway. And I quickly realized that I felt as though I needed to conform to audition for the perfunctory roles that all the guys auditioned for. And that just wasn't me. And I wasn't really able to express my transness, my womanness, or my dragness to anyone, um, other than people in the clubs who would wholeheartedly accept it. I think what I needed to do was step away from the acting world and the auditioning world in order to really figure out who I was. How would you describe your drag persona then? So for me back then, drag was really the safe space to kind of express myself as a woman and my idea of my own womanhood. Because I really, there weren't really any other outlets for me to do that. So I took my drag very seriously. I was not trying to be campy. I was like, I need to look as, quote, real as I can, Mm -hmm. you know, as glamorous and as beautiful as I can. I'm just a woman. And so that's who I was. And when people would kind of ask about my drag persona, then when they would hear other queens kind of describe, you know, quirks or kookiness or some kind of campiness, my angle was that I'm just a woman. Peppermint is just a woman. And... 
I don't think I was trying to tell them that I'm trans. I just didn't want them to layer on a kind of kitschiness or um, the idea that my drag was just like a joke. Yeah, you wanted to be taken seriously. I wanted to be taken seriously. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of what was in my head for so many years until I started to realize my transness underneath that. After that, I was like, I don't care. I'll wear blue hair, whatever. Like, you know, I didn't feel like I needed to convince people of how real I am because I, I have that during the day. I also just want to talk about how you're about to become the first openly trans woman to originate a lead role on Broadway. It's amazing. It's a show called Head Over Heels. Can you tell me a little bit about the show? Head Over Heels is a fantastic musical. It centers around the, the music of the Go-Go's, first of all, which is like what hooked me in immediately. But it's a story about a, a royal family, a king and queen and princesses. And um, they're set on a journey of self-discovery after hearing some rather ominous prophecies from an oracle who I play. I hear actors all the time talk about how, like, oh, my God, eight shows a week. This is going to be crazy. Or, like, the schedule is crazy. You coming from the drag world and doing multiple shows a night, you know, like that kind of thing. I mean, like, how will this gig compare to that? Does this actually, like, not phase you that much? Because you're like, I've been doing this for a while now. A long while I've been doing it. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, there was a moment in time years ago when I was doing drag and doing seven nights a week. And then, like, as you said, several times there'd be more than one event on one night. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't really phase me so much. The schedule can be kind of similar. Now, the goal in everyone's life is to do less work for more money. <laughs> That's the goal. Um, so I'm waiting for that day where I can be, like, one show a year <laughs> and get paid more money than Oprah. Yeah. Right? Um, so I'm not there yet, but it is a grueling schedule, but it's it's something that I can handle. You know, you have this huge fan base, and then when they come to see you, they're there to see Peppermint. But in a play or musical like this, you sort of disappear into this other character. I don't disappear. How dare you use those words? <laughs> but the, the goal, the goal is for you to sort of become this other character. Or do you, do you not think no. of it that way? The goal is for the audience to disappear into me. Mm -hmm. That's my, I, I want to bring them into this world. And of course, you know, yes, I'm playing this character. I think the thing that's good for me is that there's a lot of things that I have in common with this character. And so I'm not unlike this character, the Oracle, whose name is Pythio. So, yes, it is different. It's not the normal Peppermint show that people are coming to see. And a lot of the people in the audience have never even heard of Peppermint. Mm -hmm. So they're coming to just be entertained. But what I've been doing as a queen for years is just entertaining people and winning over audiences who didn't know who I was to begin with. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's in my wheelhouse. And the costumes, for f the first time ever, are paid for by somebody other than me. Right. So that's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to follow up on a thing you said. What do you think you have in common with your character? Um, I think one of the biggest things that we can talk about with their non-binary, which is something I don't want to get lost. I don't personally identify as non-binary, but having a trans experience, I definitely know what it's like to either grapple with or contemplate or realize 
my gender existence at a different time than everyone else. And then really realizing my power through that, my personal power and strength in realizing fully who I am and who I was meant to be. And I think that's something that this character does very well. And then, of course, like, you know, my character is covered in rhinestones, which is pretty much how I live. Yeah. You know? Except minor diamonds. Hers are cubic zirconia. <laughs> <laughs> so you've had this huge success on RuPaul's Drag Race. You're about to open on Broadway. What do you see for yourself next? I think I would like to see how drag in general, mine or anyone's, can become more mainstream. Um, I think drag has a home, and hopefully will always have a home, in queer bars and queer nightlife. But I think even when it seemed to have been contained or, or primarily existing in queer nightlife, drag reached politics. Drag reached any social issue that was affecting the queer community or greater. And and so I'd like to see drag continue to do those things um, and more. Drag in politics, but for everyone. A drag queen walking in a room to deliver a message is just a lot more entertaining than some stuffy politician. So I say, Peppermint for President 2020. <laughs> I love it. I would vote for you. <laughs> I wouldn't, but... <laughs> Peppermint, I want to thank you so much for coming in and talking to me and putting up with me being nervous. (laughs) You're shaking. You're sweating so much. Come on. Don't lie to the people. I'm pristine. I use too many Korean face products to not be pristine right now. You are. You're beautiful. You're perfect. Did you stone those times? For those Drag Race fans. Um, Well, thank you for bringing me in. Head Over Heels starts performances later this month and officially opens on July 26th. And if you want to see us live on stage, good news, we're going to be at the Bell House in Brooklyn on June 16th as part of the first ever Big Queer Podfest. It's going to be this amazing live show featuring some of your favorite queer podcasts, Making Big History, LGBTQ&A, Food for Thought, and us. Go to thebellhouseny.com for tickets. Okay, it is credits time. Producers. Matt Collette and Alice Wilder. Intern. Melissa Lent. Sound designer. Jeremy Bloom. Editor. Jenny Lawton. Executive producer. Paula Schumann. I'm Kathy Tu. I'm Tobin Lowe. And Nancy is a production of WNYC Studios. Miss Vanjie. Miss Vanjie. <laughs> <laughs>